0: Well, good morning, everybody. Ah, so good to see you. You're probably thinking, who is, why is that guy back speaking again? I don't know if you were here any of the last four weeks, you know that we got to hear from four different people in our community. And so we had four guest preachers. And if you missed any one of those weeks, let me tell you, unbiasedly, it was terrific. Like, it was home run after home run, after home runs. So if you missed any of those, or you didn't hear any of them, I highly encourage you to go to our website, mosaicphiladelphia.org and listen to them because uh, you won't be disappointed at all. The name of the series that we just concluded was called The Difference That Jesus Makes. And what we heard from was four people in our church and the difference that Jesus has made in their lives. And I think uh, if you listen to them you'll find that there was some really solid um, exposition of the Bible, some great theology All the talks were well organized and easy to follow. But the thing that I got more comments about than anything else was how vulnerable and open people were about the real things that were happening in their lives. And it's no surprise that people connected. Uh, There is a theme throughout Scripture that you may or may not have picked up on Uh, You really see it in books of the Bible like the Psalms, which are poems that people wrote, where they're very honest about what they're going through. They're very honest about doubting God. They're very honest about the pain in their lives. And they don't hide anything. They're vulnerable, sort of right out front. And these are things that not only do they write down for themselves in their own prayer journals, but were given publicly to their entire community And some of them, if not most of them, were sung out loud. If you can imagine, whatever the biggest problem is in your life, the thing that you are having the biggest beef with God about right now, if we all sang about that together this morning, that would be quite a trip, wouldn't it? And of course, there are other, lots of the Psalms are about praising God and how good He is, but there's this mix. It's very real. You get a picture that life isn't simple all of the time. Uh, One of the earliest church fathers was a gentleman named Paul. Paul, is also known as an apostle because he started churches all over the Middle East, parts of Europe, uh, the Near East. He was a prolific Christian, probably the most influential uh, follower of Jesus that we have had. He wrote, or the letters that he wrote to churches became most of the Christian New Testament scriptures. And at one point, in one letter, he writes uh, to a community and he says, And points out very clearly that he has this thing called a thorn in the flesh. It's a problem. It's something that he can't handle. It's something that he has pleaded to God, I think, three or four times to take away from him. But God hasn't. And he calls it his weakness. But he mentions it. And in fact, he says he boasts about it because his experience has been that God's power shows up or is displayed around him most clearly in and through his weakness. So he says, therefore, I will boast all the more proudly about my weaknesses that God's power might rest in me. And so I feel like the reason that this last series was so powerful for so many people is because people in our church put out in front of you their real lives. And when you see someone's real life, you also see where the Holy Spirit enters in and makes a difference. You see where God comes through, comes alongside, strengthens, encourages, empowers in very practical ways the lives of people. This is really important. If you want to see and experience and know that God is alive, the power of God is very much connected to sharing our real stories giving of our whole selves, not editing out the parts of our lives that are complicated or messy, not trying to make things neat, but being out in the fore with our real selves, vulnerability. It's through story that we connect to a living, alive, active God in the world. It's not the only way, but it's a very significant way where we see God alive in the lives of the people around us, and it turns us on so that we can see the way that God is active and alive in our lives. It's essential. It's important. So it wasn't a random thing to hear from four people in our church and to ask them to speak about the difference that Jesus made. What we want, what we're aiming for, one of the things we're aiming for as a community Is for this to be a hallmark of who we are, for this to be a key element of the culture of our community, that we easily or innately or as a matter of who we are share our whole selves and share the story of what God is doing in our lives. In fact, this is something, this is not a new theme for us. Uh, You may have noticed last week, Brianna mentioned. Uh, a sermon that I gave a couple years ago that talked about not editing parts of our lives. And I've had actually in the last, oh, three or four weeks, a couple different conversations where we talked about this. And so I thought coming on the heels of a series that was all about hearing the stories of people in our church, that it would be a good time to really dive into this and see why is this of value? Why is this so important? Why do we want to foster this? In our church, and so that's what we're going to do. And this week, we're going to talk about why and where we see it's important to share our whole selves. And to do that, we're going to be looking um, at a letter that the another early church father Peter wrote to encourage a church. This is First Peter chapter three, and he writes this. He writes, "Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed." Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Sharing our whole lives with our friends. Now, I want to do something that's a little bit different today. Um... The title of the sermon is Get Real, and I do want to do that. And to get particularly real, to talk about this, I think, in a particularly honest way, I'm going to speak in a way that's slightly different than I normally do. Normally and purposely, I speak in terms that I hope people from all different backgrounds will immediately be able to gauge and connect to um, and feel included to, like I'm talking to you because I am. Today, though, at times, I want to speak specifically to the Christian experience of life as I've seen it again and again and again. So if you don't come from a Christian background, I think everything in this talk is still going to be engaging for you. But sometimes the way it'll be engaging is sort of a sneak behind the curtain of what the experience of many Christians have been um, over a longer period of time. And because this passage is about sharing our whole selves with people and particularly sharing parts of our lives that are connected to faith and connected to Jesus, I think it's helpful to start by pointing out that Christians particularly tend to have hang-ups about this. And what I've noticed is that when it comes to sharing the spiritual side or the faith side of our lives with friends, Christians often face two challenges. One challenge is this, fear. Now, Depending on your background, you may not know it, but many, if not most Christians, are really afraid that people who don't go to church will find out that they are actually Christians. In the passage today, we read that it says uh, that it's encouraging Christians to share the hope that they have in Jesus with others. Notice it says this, But who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Do not be frightened. Now honestly, the the things that first century Christians were afraid of are a little bit bigger than the things that I know of any Christians in 21st century West Philadelphia facing. So they could lose their homes, they could lose their lives, they could end up in jail. They could be separated from their children. Those are big things to be afraid of. So Philadelphians, we don't face the same type of fears, but Christians in Philadelphia don't necessarily have a good name either, and I think we all feel that. I remember I read an article by Ada Calhoun. It was entitled, I'm a Closet Christian, and she wrote this. She says, maybe some of you have this experience this morning. I don't know. It was Sunday morning in my scruffy Brooklyn, New York neighborhood, and I was wearing a dress. Walking to the subway, I ran into a friend heading home from yoga class, and she wore sweats and carried her mat over her shoulder. Where are you going so early, all dressed up, she asked. And chuckling, she added, to church? We shared a laugh at the absurdity of a liberal New Yorker heading off to worship. The real joke, I totally was. Inside the church, it's cool and quiet. I read the collect of the day in the Book of Common Prayer, which urges us, quote, while we are placed among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those things that shall endure, unquote. And my recent layoff no longer seems like the end of the world. I take communion and exchange the peace and listen to the sermon, and as I'm walking back up the aisle, I feel reoriented and calmer, and the indignities of the week shift into perspective. These moments are not only sacred, they're secret. Outside, on the steps of the downtown Manhattan church, I think I see someone familiar coming down the sidewalk, and I bolt in the other direction. Why am I so paranoid? I'm not cheating on my husband, I'm not committing crimes or doing drugs, but those are battle but those are battles my cosmopolitan progressive friends would understand. Many of them had to come out as gay, as alcoholics, as artists in places where they're not valued. To them, my situation is far more sinister. I am the bane of their youth, the boogeyman of their politics, the very thing they left their small towns to escape. I'm a Christian. Now, does that or that feeling sound familiar to anyone, honestly? And to be honest, I think feelings like this cause us to shut down the part of our lives that has anything to do with faith. We don't want to be associated with the boogeyman or the bigot. We don't like or connect to those expressions of faith any more than our friends do, but we're afraid to be painted with the same brush. So the part of our story that would create space for the real and practical power of God to be seen, we edit out. We don't want to be rejected. We don't want to lose friends. And here's what I would say to you if you relate to this. And not everyone's experience is this. But my re- the response would be this. Be real. And here's why. In every good relationship you have in your life, you have to overcome fear in some way. Every good relationship. It's vulnerability that leads to the trust that's needed to have a real, well-rounded, deeper relationship. And we have to share our whole lives to have that. Not hold back or hide certain parts. And our relationships are only as deep as we are vulnerable. Do you want to have deep, meaningful relationships? Think of it this way. Have you ever told someone that you love them? Not your mom, not your brother or your sister, but someone that you're interested in romantically. Ever told them that you love them? I remember in the 90s, Jerry Seinfeld had an episode of Seinfeld where they touched on this. And he said, when you say that, when you say you love someone, he goes, that's a pretty big tamale just sitting out there, right? Because you don't know how they're going to respond. Are they going to reciprocate? Are they going to say, I love you too? Are they going to say, thank you? <laughs> You don't know. You're vulnerable. You're out there. But, you know, that is the only way that you get to the next level in that relationship. You have to risk. You have to be a little bit frightened. And that's how you build a deep relationship. If we're going to have friendships that are real and deep and fulfilling, we have to bring our whole selves to the table. And our faith is part of that. And it can be scary, but the best things in life always carry some risk. For some of you, the challenge, though, it isn't fear. It's something else. It's guilt. This is a peek behind the curtain. This is particularly for people, if you've grown up in the church, this might mean something to you. You may be, um, when you were a child, you were told it was your responsibility to save your friends from hell. No pressure. Just this little thing, uh, it's all on you. Maybe you were shown movies that drove home the point or went to retreats, that that was the main theme. And maybe that wasn't exactly what the leaders of those retreats were trying to give you or teach you, but that's what you took away, and it stuck with you. And so you've had friendships over your life, and there'll be times you're thinking, am I talking about Jesus enough? Anyone? How can I turn this conversation toward Jesus Or how about this one? Am I a good enough model that someone would see Jesus in my life? Oh, gosh, that's some pressure, right? And when you weren't feeling guilty about not sharing your faith enough or being a good enough model of who Jesus is that people might recognize that in you, you probably felt guilty because you felt like your friendships were disingenuous, like you had an ulterior motive, that your friends weren't just your friends, but you were trying to change them into something else. And so you ended up having guilt coming at you from both directions. Mm. That's not the way it's supposed to be. I really don't think it is. If you look in verse 15, it says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And I think what Peter's trying to do is remind people like who's in charge. And remember, look, Jesus, Jesus isn't the one putting pressure on you here. You know the picture of Jesus in the Bible is not someone watching you, judging you. Are you asking the question? Are you doing enough? The picture of Jesus—he's described at the right hand of the Father, praying for you, hoping for you, on your side, with you. And the pressure that you feel, or that you have felt—I'd like to see us. That's not—that's not Jesus. That's something else. Maybe it's a cultural thing. Maybe it's something that someone put on you accidentally, the best of intentions. But I don't think that's Jesus. So what should we do about that? Well, I would suggest this, to choose love, or what I'm calling the ultimate motive. So instead of having an ulterior motive in your relationships, have an ultimate motive, which is to love people, to be a good friend. And part of being a good friend is sharing all of who you are and building a good relationship where you're known, where they're known, where you can support each other, where there's give and take. And I think that's a real way forward, to be a good friend. And to be a good friend, one of the things you have to do is take risks and open your whole life. You know, when you're first starting a relationship with someone, you're just getting to know them, what do you talk about? You talk about the things you can see, the weather. Oh, man, it's raining. Wouldn't this be a terrible day to be out running the the, um, Broad Street Run, right? Thank God we're inside, right, where it's warm and we're dry. Well, some of us won't be dry all day. We'll get to that. So now I've taken myself. So we talk about the things we can see, right? You get to know someone a little bit better, you talk about a little bit more. It's not just the things you see, but you get to your basic personal information who you are, maybe what you do for a living. Do you have a boyfriend, girlfriend? Are you married? Do you have kids? You know, all those things. Where are you from originally? Are you from Philly your whole life? Did you always live in this part of the city? All these types of personal things, and you get to know each other. Maybe you talk about sports and you joke about things that you saw on TV and stuff like that. Now, when you start to become a deeper friend with someone, you start to build a relationship, the next thing you typically tend to talk about are your dreams and your desires. You know, what do you, a good question about this is like, what do you love the most about what you do? If you could do anything, what would you do? You know, questions like that. You start to talk about those things. And then when you're, it's a little more vulnerable, right? You're sort of sharing, this is important to me. And the other person could sort of poo-poo that, or they could be like, oh wow, tell me more. And finally, when you really start to develop a deep, meaningful relationship that can really benefit both people, you talk about your regrets, losses, and pain. Now, what I would like to suggest, and this isn't the only thing that builds deep relationships, but we're, talk- we're focusing in one area today, is that in the process of talking about those things, is building- to build a deep relationship that you would consider, but not edit faith. For your own good and for the good of people around you. So that you can get to really know each other and you can be known. So you can put that big tamale out there. And really, it's not that big a tamale. But you can put your tamale of part of who you are out there and see what happens. And when you get to your dreams and regrets, if God is part of them or has helped you through something, leave him in. Don't edit him out. Share the real part of your life. With your friends. And if they're really your friends, they'll actually probably appreciate it. It's part of you, it can be really helpful to them. And you can do this without judging anyone. Just like you can talk about how much you love other important things in your life, like the school you went to, your significant other, things you like about your family, without putting down your friends or your friend's school or your friend's family or whatever. In this passage, Peter says, do this with gentleness and respect. And honestly, really, if you just focus on your experience, you'll be fine. And if you get all jumbled up about that stuff, let me suggest one other thing, and that is practice. That's what we did the last four weeks. We gave people the opportunity to practice talking about their whole selves, leaving the faith in, leaving Jesus in. In this passage, it says always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. If we want to see that God is alive, we have a great opportunity to get better at this and do this with each other. You know, I haven't always been very good at this, full disclosure. When I was a teenager, I didn't really think much about faith at all, never talked about it, whatever. And so it was very natural for me not to really speak about that and still be sharing my whole life. Something crazy happened when I went away to school. I remember being in orientation. And if any of you have ever gone away to school, you know in my school there was a week of orientation. Lots of times maybe it's only three weeks or two weeks here or there. But we had a whole week. And you would do these things like Relationships 101, you sit down and talk about how to have respectful relationships and you do all these different groups like that. So we're sitting in one of those relationships one-on-one. And the question was share something that's important to you. So it's going around the circle. I'm like, oh, what am I going to talk about? What am I going to talk about? And then when it comes to be my turn, without thinking, I just say, Oh yeah, my faith is really important to me. Now I hadn't talked about faith all my high school years, and here I am. I'm like, oh, huh, that's interesting. And then I just start going. <laughs> and I don't know how long I talked. But I felt like I was watching myself from the corner of the room tell everyone how important my faith was to me and what a difference it made. And I'm starting to tear up and get all weepy. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on here? Like, where did this come from? And that experience was over. Well, that started a whirlwind of spiritual growth that I experienced for the next four years. Where lots of crazy things and fun things and encouraging things would happen. And then a the funny thing happened. I was like, wow, that was awesome. I would really like, you know, I'm a pastor now. I can sort of see where this is going. I'd really like to include this part of my life with as many people as possible and tell them. So what did I do? I started forcing it real hard in all kinds of situations. I try and turn conversations around to talk about Jesus. I would go to parties just hoping I could have this conversation. And I would sit out at the central part of our campus. There was this big rock there that people would paint to promote events. And I'd take a sign out there that I had scribbled, sit down and talk to me on it. I was, you know what I, you know who I was? I was that guy. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Who that guy is? That guy was me. And I would hear things later like, oh, Brad is a great guy, but don't get him started about religion, whatever you do. And you know how effective that was in building deeper relationships and the type of relationships we're talking about? Not very effective at all. And in fact, so ineffective that I basically, even as I was pursuing becoming a pastor, kind of shut down that part of my life when I would get to know people. Because so I got tired of going to parties and people would be like, "Oh, what do you do?" I'd say, "I'm a pastor." And They're like, "Ooh." End of discussion. Catch you later. That's frustrating and painful, and I didn't like that, and I didn't feel like I was exactly who they thought that I was. So I just shut it down. Shut it down for years. And then a funny thing happened. (laughs) Uh, I had an accidental breakthrough. At least that's the way I look at it now. So I didn't talk about faith at all. I actually in some ways tried not to talk about faith, but I was still making friends, and I'd find myself on the porch, and it'd be one a.m., two a.m., and I just think we're hanging out, having conversations. And the next thing I know, I'd find out. Oh, my friend said, "Oh, Brad, I just love. We just. I just share my whole life story with him, and I think when did that happen? I didn't realize. And people will be listening to my sermons online, and out of the blue, they'd say, "Oh, yeah." Um, I checked out some of your sermons and they I kinda like I'm like, wait, sermons? Plural? You listen to more than one? All right. <laughs> Didn't scare you off with the first one. And so accidentally I started to open myself up again to share that part of my life. But just as I built like regular friendships with people and who I was and my whole self was a part of that relationship, was brought to the table. And through that experience I realized, wow. I actually love having these types of conversations. And so now if you're around and you want to talk about anything spiritual, I'm not shutting that down at all. I love it. I like to start groups called, you know, Faith Reimagine, where that's all we do. We talk about hang-ups about faith, not just like, oh, this is the good news, but like, oh, this is the crappy news that's part of my life. And we start there. So I even like to talk about the stuff usually you want to avoid, but I feel like God has given me the ability as I share my whole self to really enjoy talking about those things. But I think it starts with having some awareness of what God is doing in your life. What's God doing in your life? He says, um, always be prepared. We don't focus. I was listening to a podcast yesterday and they were, it was talking about a study that was done. And because it was a podcast, I can't remember the exact study because I would have had to write it down and I was scraping a lot of plaster off of my ceiling. So I didn't really have the opportunity to do that. But basically, according to a study, um, if someone says something negative to you or a negative thing happens, it sticks to you immediately without even trying. It goes in. Someone sends you a rough email. Boom, you feel it. Something good happens. Your kid smiles. You get praise at work. You know, you, you uh, get a new car. Whatever a fun thing would be for you, an encouraging thing. Someone calls you and says, happy birthday. If you don't stop and take at least 15 seconds to ruminate with it, you'll lose it. It's gone. How many of you can get like Twenty-five encouraging emails and one bad one, and when you go to try to go to sleep at night, what pops to your mind? Twenty-five encouraging emails or one really terrible one? Let alone if you're in a situation where you're getting multitude of negative emails. Something good happens. You have to sit with it, or it won't connect to you. You'll lose it. You'll forget it. But the bad things you won't. So you actually have to be specific. So are you aware of what God is doing in your life today? Can you articulate it, even just to yourself? Practice. This is so important. This can be life-changing for you. And if our community is that type of community that ruminates on the goodness of God, what's happening now, that God is alive, man, that will spread other people in this room and around this room so we're gonna take about 15 seconds maybe a little bit more you've got a bulletin there's an insert which has the outline if you haven't noticed already on the back of it where the scripture usually is i asked the scripture to be put at the bottom of the page so there's a lot of empty space there it says something like what is god doing in your life so here's what we're going to do In as much detail as you want to in the next couple minutes, I want you to just identify one thing recent that you can see or at least wonder that God is active in your life, that he's working for your good, that he's blessing you. All right, so I'm going to give you 15 seconds to identify that thing. I'm actually going to pull out my phone. I'm going to time it. So you have 15 seconds. Starting, starting, and now. Doesn't have to be huge, can be small. Okay, 15 seconds, now you have it. Now you need at least another 15 seconds to make sure that you connect to the fact that it actually is a good thing happening in your life. All right, so what we're gonna do, we're gonna be quiet for the next 15 minutes or so. I'm gonna invite the Holy Spirit to come make that real in your life, okay? And then we'll move on with our service. So Holy Spirit, bad things stick to us like Velcro. But the good things you're doing, we have to grab and hold on to. Thank you that you're alive and active in our lives. And thank you for this example that I've written down on this page. Let me take it in. Let me rest with it. Stick it into my heart.